Welcome to the ministry of Berean Bible Church in Louisville, Ohio, pastored by Ted Fellows and committed to preaching and teaching God's Word from a dispensational perspective. Most of the messages you will hear are recorded from our local church services. You can find out more about our ministry at www.bereansoflouisville.org. Thank you for listening. God's Word and look at um, the the, the issues of our culture and our world and our country through a biblical filter. And um, not that we, it, it's, it's really kind of hard to strike a balance because we're not called to fight the social cultural battle war. And so I'm not teaching these things to give us ammunition to approach and engage in the fight so much as I'm trying to give us a way to think about all the chaos and the, the winds of culture and the winds of, of doctrine that are, that are blowing that uh, really cause unrest and, and uh, anxiousness. We live in days where there's a great deal of anxiety and worry and the pandemic and all of the, the things that go along with that and the, the upheaval in the country. It's, uh, it's real easy to get caught up in that. I gotta tell you, I, Sue and I have been watching much, 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 much less news. <laughs> and uh, you, you, you want to you find out, you know, if something came through Facebook and uh, somebody made a comment, I says, oh, did somebody get shot? Maybe we ought to try to see what, you know, what's going on. Because you have all these things that happen, you know. And the more, you're, the more you follow that stuff, the more anxious you become about it. And, uh, you know, that's all a, a personal decision and how we choose to do those things. But um, God's Word gives us some real specific help and a filter to view those things. And so when you do discuss them, we don't want to be just looking at them from a secular viewpoint. Politics and the political party and the, the political philosophy, whether it's conservative or liberal or libertarian or left or right or Republican, Democrat, all that stuff. Because when you, when you approach issues just from that standpoint, it winds up being just a, you know, your opinion versus their opinion. And sometimes you have to wade through those things. But really, the, the issue of God's word being a foundation of how to, how to view and how to stand in the world in which we live. Um, we read Romans 13. Um, that was first century. That was a very oppressive, iron-fisted governmental rule in, in that region of the world. And Christians were saved at that time, standing in that. And uh, we're heading into, a, into an age of, of uh, our, our country is in such decline and free fall. We're heading much back to the, the kind of world that the first century Christians lived in. And, uh, and uh, it's just kind of, a, it's kind of a shock, especially to us, because we're not accustomed to that. We've had had so, such a, a long run of prosperity and stability in our nation, and yet it has been eroding over time. And um, uh, Psalm 11.3 says, If the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? And we live in a time when things are just shifting and changing. There's nothing firm to stand on, but we do have a firm foundation in God's Word. So we're going to look at some of those things this morning. Um, we have gone through... Um, the first phase was the foundations, and I'll say something about that in a minute. Um, today, I want to look at the American experiment, um, just a little bit about our country and the context of our country, um, but, but not trying to get political, 
trying to um, trying to see some things. The American experiment was unique, very unique, at a time when when the uh, uh, the, the world was progressing. There are other things happening in world history that are deeply significant. And so I want to try to tie some of that together with the biblical filter of the, uh, of, of the foundations that we have in God's word. Uh, and then next week we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna shift to really the issue for us today. There's another foundation that, uh, that needs to be, be uh, fervently held and that's the issue of the local church. Uh, it's the pillar and the ground of the truth. And uh, the Apostle Paul wrote four books to the local churches in that first century about their purpose and their function. And uh, that is really something that our world and our society needs that is also in decline. But we'll say more about that later. Um, the first phase that we looked at, we looked at the six foundations in God's word. And we started with the book of Romans chapter number one in the Apostle Paul. He is the apostle of the Gentiles. He was raised up not to, not to perpetuate the Jewish message, but to, but to take a new gospel message that was tailor-made for the Gentile world to and among the Gentiles. And that message was the gospel of the grace of God. It was not the kingdom program of the nation of Israel. It was not the prophetic covenants and promises. But it was a brand new message for the Gentiles and a tailor-made message for the Gentiles. And you think about it, it's going out and now for 2,000 years in multiple cultures, in multiple continents and race, racial uh, settings and national settings and the, the, the technology and wars and, and all of the upheaval in the Gentile world. And yet what was communicated in the very first century is sufficient for all of that. And that's where we start. We start with the filter that Paul lays out in Romans chapter 1. He introduces us again to himself as the apostle of the Gentiles and the Gentile world. Romans chapter 1, we went through all of those things. Then we looked at some of the foundational issues through the lens of Paul's gospel. And in Romans chapter 1, he talks about the issue of the creator. And the, the problem with the Gentile world is they rejected the light of their creator. And they became, they, they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened and they went on into idolatry. And uh, so God has a witness of creation to all, all, of, all of humanity and that, therefore to the conscience of, of every individual. Then, in, then we looked at the issue of personal responsibility and volition. We go back to the book of Genesis and creation and man was personally accountable and responsible to his creator. Um, we, see those, we saw those things in the, in the early chapters of Genesis and personal responsibility. Then God establishes with Adam and Eve marriage and the, the institution of marriage as the basic building block for society. And then the extension of marriage is the family and the home where, where offspring is brought in and, and traditions and truth is passed on from generation to generation. And then you have home and the family, the, ex, the extended family, um, all of those things are laid out. Those four, five principles are laid out in the first few chapters of Genesis. And yet that's not enough. Because man's heart became full of wickedness and evil. And, and uh, God had to start over with Noah. And the problem was the imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. And man's, man's imagination was evil from his youth. And so God institutes the issue of the rule of law in Genesis 9. 
giving man the authority to, to execute justice on his fellow man. And then he creates nations. He scatters the, the sons of Noah and sets boundaries for them and, and to, to, to fill the earth that they might seek the Lord. God established nations there. So the nation, nationalism and the rule of law. And yet man fails again at the Tower of Babel. And so God raises up the nation of Israel. He gives the Gentiles up. He gave them up, Romans chapter 1 says. He let them go on in their own darkness and on in their own ignorance and, and, and evil and, and, uh, and self-will. And he raises up the nation of Israel as a model, as a light to the world. Here, Deuteronomy chapter number 4, as Moses is, is, in the, is on the back nine of life, Moses is going to die in, in, less than, in less than two or three months. And he says, verse 5, Deuteronomy 4, 5, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do so in the land, whether you go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding, notice it, in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? God raises up Israel as a light, as a model of national life of his nation. And here's a, here's a light, and, and God's law, and the word of God, and the law of Moses was, was to give them wisdom in the sight of the nation. So Israel was an example. It was a light that was to shine, uh, an example of national life. The nations were scattered, and they had, they had land boundaries. They had family heritage and ethnicity. They had language, common language, and they had culture. That's what makes up a nation. And Israel had all of those things. But they were a model. And uh, so, so I, what I want to do is I want to look at, real briefly, Israel's national life. And then see how God set up his nation. And then look at the, the issue of the United States of America and its national life. And then try to draw a conclusion as to, to where we are today. And I, I must say I'm a little bit um, disjointed this morning, so I apologize if it, if it appears that way. But i got a couple of things I, I, I want to basically say. How do we view our national life? Even our history today is being now being looked at through a different filter. And I want to take that history and some things about our nation in a very general way and apply God's word to it. Um, and as we go forward. So you're here in the book of Deuteronomy, Israel's national life. Um, go to Deuteronomy chapter 32. We're going to look at a couple things pretty quickly here. <coughs> Israel was raised up, and they were to, to they, had a, they had a sense of history that they were to maintain. Deuteronomy 32, verse 7, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee. My, thy elders, and they will tell thee, when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, and he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. That looks back at the Tower of Babel, when God split the, literally split the land masses in the days of Peleg, 
created the different ethnicities the different racial characteristics he reprogrammed their brain physically so they had to speak in a different language it's then that God created the ethnic differences as the sons of Noah scattered and filled the earth and he set bounds of their habitation and Paul says in Acts 17 he did that because the nations were in rebellion after the flood what did God tell the nations to do scatter at the Tower of Babel they didn't they, they, they were all of one language and one speech and instead of instead of seeking him they developed their own religion at the Tower of Babel and God says nothing is going to be restrained so he scatters them uh, with the with the principle of nationalism and government and the rule of law to manage human evil because ultimately the race problem is not ethnicity <laughs> the race problem is the human race's problem because we're all from one blood aren't we he says he's made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth and that one blood came from one man Adam and through Adam sin entered into the world and death by sin and man's heart was corrupted and the issue now is how does man bridge that gap between between fallen man and a righteous God and we know that the the story of, of the Lord Jesus and how he came into the world as a substitute for sin to to meet that human need and the today the wonderful gospel of the grace of God is that men can have eternal life and 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 inner peace through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross well Jesus Christ came to the nation of Israel too there's this gospel message there and Israel was to remember Israel had a history when God scattered the nations then he raises up Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 as a model nation there was a there was a conception of the nation with Abraham there was a gestation period there was the the through the rest of the book of Genesis as the as the family developed and then they went into Egypt and they, they, had a, they had a national crisis and a national struggle. And then Israel had a birth as a nation. They were born as a nation when they came out of Egypt. And their, God's firstborn son, their, that nation, nation, was brought forth. And then God was going to give them their land. And he gave them their constitution. He gave them the Mosaic law that governed all of their affairs of, of their, their life. And so they had, they had a, a, a history. Go back, to, go back to Deuteronomy. The national life of Israel. What makes a strong nation? Deuteronomy chapter number 5. They had, the, they had the law. And they received the law on Mount Sinai. They had, they had Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 7. Thou shalt have none other gods before me. Thou shalt not make thee any graven image or any likeness thereof. Israel had a national religion that contributed to their national unity and life. They knew the living God, didn't they? Who did the Gentiles have? They had birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things, and they had idolatry, and they had the, 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 the gods that they manufactured. Israel had the one true God, which had the, the, the standard of absolute moral righteousness there. So they had a national religious life. Um, they, you have, you have the, they knew the creator. They had volition and choice. 
They had the book of Genesis. They knew the issue of, of man's accountability and responsibility to God. Um, in the commandments, um, Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 17, thou shalt not kill. They recognized the sanctity of life. Neither shalt thou commit adultery. They recognized the sanctity of marriage and those foundational building blocks that God had established. Neither shalt thou steal. They recognized private property rights and redemption. Um, verse 16, you back up. Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. They recognized the sanctity of family. You see, all of those foundational things that were laid out in the book in the early chapters of Genesis, Israel had those things. And then they also had their own national life. Um, they had a legal system set up to, to, to govern them and for them to function. Um, Go back, to, uh, go, go back to Deuteronomy chapter number 1. What was the governmental structure? How, did, how was Israel governed as a nation? Um, Deuteronomy chapter number 1. They had, that, they had that uniform national spiritual life. Deuteronomy 1.10. The Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold, ye are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. They had, the, they had the, the one true God, a strong, singular, spiritual heritage that gave them a, a religious and spiritual and moral foundation of the nation. Verse 11, the Lord your God uh, of your fathers make you a thousand times many more as you are and bless you as he hath promised you. How can I myself alone bear your cumbrance and your burden and your strife? Take you wise men understanding and known among your tribes and I will make them rulers over you and he answered me and said the thing which thou hast spoken is good for us to do they established territories within their country based on the tribes of Israel and then they had local representatives that manage the affairs locally for their tribes and for their, for, for their people. And so they had local representation. Notice they were known among your tribes. They, they came up from within the local geographic boundaries, were recognized, acknowledged by the people, and then they had the consent of the governed. They were appointed and respected and recognized. He says, um, Verse 15, so I took chief of your tribes, wise men and known, and made them heads over, um, over your captains, over thousands, and captains over hundreds, and captains over fifties, and captains over tens, and officers among your tribes. This goes back to Exodus chapter 18, where Moses' father-in-law says, hey, Moses, you're going to burn out. You're trying to manage all of this by yourself. And Jethro says, you know, take some people out of Israel. Let them help you. Let them oversee and so they devout, developed a network within the nation among your tribe. They had individual districts. Verse 16, And I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man and his brother and the stranger that is with him. So they had a means to settle dispute. They had the rule of law. And they had the Mosaic law, they had the Ten Commandments that gave the moral foundation because morality comes from God. It's not a matter of individual choice and personal opinion. 
So you have a final authority of morality that comes from the living God who is the, the, the center of the nation. And then they had the, the, the judgments. In Exodus 21 and 22, they had all of these social principles that, that laid out marriage and, and, and property rights and, and personal family responsibilities and management of, of one another's property. So they had the, the, the moral law and they had the statutes and judgments there. And they had a, they had a, a process to oversee and manage that. Verse 17, ye shall not respect persons in judgment, but ye shall hear the small as well as the great. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's. And the, if that, and the cause that is too hard for you, bring it to me, and I will hear it. Does that sound familiar? They have, they have equal justice under the law. And Exodus says, there is one law for the stranger. That's the foreigner that, that comes into the national life. They had one law for the foreigner and one for the, the, the one that was homeborn. Those are the naturalized citizens. And there was one law for all men. And it was to be equal justice under the law. There. And if a, if a stranger came in and he embraced, he assimilated. See, the national life was sovereign. The national identity and the culture was important to have that unity. And so those that came in from outside assimilated and adapted into and became part of the culture. And then he said, the, the foreigner shall be as one born in the land. One law for the entire nation. The, the, the national life was based in the law and it made them different. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Now these are the commandments. There's the Ten Commandments. And the statutes and the judgments. Those are the judgments for the social and, and, and moral life of the nation. Which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whether you go to possess it. There's the, 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 the land boundary the sovereign territory that was theirs that they, were, that they were to protect the life of the nation within it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God. Notice thou. There's the national life. The national conscience of the people. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and commandments which I command thee this day. The, 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 the people and the conscience of the nation guided the direction of the nation which I command thee thou and thy son and thy son's son there's the family and what does the family do the family perpetuates the national and spiritual identity from one generation to the next and to the next and it preserves the national life uh, all the days of thy life that thy days may be prolonged as they, perpetu as they perpetuate the national identity and follow the, the issues of the Lord and, and the, the, moral, the moral standards and the social standards and the, the judgmental standards, there, thy days may be prolonged. Verse 3, Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, 
that it may be well with thee, that you may increase mightily as the Lord thy God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. See how he addresses the nation? And he says the people of the nation and the conscience of the nation will determine the direction and the prosperity of the nation. Now here, of course, in the law, there was imposed blessing. They had a covenant, and God promised to intervene on their behalf in a positive way and to give them military victory and, 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 and weather and, and prosperity in their crops and, and, and fruitful harvest and, and fruitful uh, reproduction. All those, all those interventions that God promised to them directly as well as the curses as well as the imposed consequences for disobedience. But they, but they have all of that structure there. Um, verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. See, there's that generation issue, generationally committing those truths of God's word, but also the national history, and their, their purpose, and their function, communicating it diligently to the next generation. A sense of history that is passed on from one generation to the next, and to the next, keeping that, that national life intact. Um, come, uh, come to Deuteronomy chapter 17. I'm trying to do this quickly. Um, make it Deuteronomy chapter 16. Deuteronomy chapter 16 verse 1. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover unto the Lord thy God. They had a religious calendar. They had, they had religious events throughout the, the, the year that reminded them of their history, reminded them of their God, reminded them of, of their, their national life. They had a religious calendar that was repeated every single year. Deuteronomy chapter 17, he says, Thou shalt not sacrifice unto the Lord thy God any bullock or sheep that is blemished or any ill-favored uh, Ill favoredness, for that is an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Israel had one spiritual life and religion, a unifying religion that, and, and spiritual truth that preserved, that, that was part of their unity. That was to be maintained. Um, if you drop down, they had a, they had a court system. Um, verse 5, thou shalt bring the, bring forth a man or that woman, and this is in the case of idolatry, but notice it, um, man or woman which have committed that wicked thing unto thy gates. Even that man or that woman shall be, you shall stone them with stones till they die. There was public execution. There's the death penalty. Um, but they, they had a localized form of governance. The gates there were the gates of the cities. The individual cities in the, in, the, in the individual districts. Verse 6, at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. And at the mouth of one witness shall he not be put to death. They had a judicial process in place. They had local courts and a judicial process. Um, 
testimony was vitally important. They had, if, if somebody gave false testimony, they were to receive the punishment of the one that they were accusing. Serious, serious things. And not only that, there was, there was public um, discipline. Verse 7, the hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people, so thou shalt put away the evil from among you. There was a public execution of, of, of legal consequences and moral consequences there. Verse 8, if there arise a matter too hard, I want you to just remember that issue of, the, of a matter for thee for judgment between blood and blood between plea and plea between stroke and stroke being matters of controversy it's like the causes back there that in chapter 1 that we just looked at a minute ago there were degrees and levels of offense blood versus blood there's the issues of life and death uh, plea and plea there's verbal agreements and, and con contesting of contracts and you know he said this but he said that and, and settling those, those, those issues stroke and stroke personal injury and, and violation of, 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 of safety and so on being matters of controversy within thy gates then thou shalt arise and get thee up unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose see they had matters of controversy causes between one another that was addressed locally they had a lower court system but they also had a supreme court if the matters of controversy be too hard they were to get up under the place which the Lord thy God shall choose they would go to the capital city of Jerusalem because that's where God's presence was or Shiloh when the temple was was built and thou shalt, verse 9, thou shalt come unto the priests and the Levites and unto the judge that shall in those days inquire and they shall show thee the sentence of judgment. There was a final authority they could go to to settle the issue once and for all and forever. And the rule of law was absolute in Israel. Notice verse 10, and thou shalt do according to the sentence which they of that place which the Lord shall choose shall show thee. There's the verdict and the decision. Um, verse 11, according to the sentence of the law, which they shall teach thee, according to the judgment, which they shall tell thee, thou shalt do, thou shalt not decline from the sentence which they shall show thee, to the right hand or to the left. Do You see what that is? That's the issue of is settled. If there is a controversy or a dispute or a legal problem or injury that was settled either locally or up there in Jerusalem. Verse 12, and the man that will do presumptuously and will not hearken unto the priest that standeth to minister before the Lord thy God unto the judge, even that man shall die. <laughs> and thou shalt put away evil from Israel. If you fought against the decision and you wanted to perpetuate the argument and you wouldn't listen to the sentence, there's a death penalty. Listen, there's always going to be somebody that's not going to be happy, but the issue is settled and you move on and you go on with life. 
There was the, there's, the, there's the absolute rule of law with God as its head and the priests and the elders in the nation administering it. That was to provide stable national life because there still would be disputes, wouldn't there? There still would be problems and, and contentions and arguments and, and disputes. But they had, the, they had a law that was established and remember when God gave it to the children of Israel back in Exodus? And, and Moses gave the words to the people? You know what the people said? All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. You have the consent of the governed. <laughs> a, a, a uniform law that's agreed to, a national identity, a, a national life, a rule of law to settle disputes. Now go out and live your life in your territories. Um, there's an interesting thing here, verse 14, and this is going to be the transition. Israel was set up as a, as a theocracy where God administered the affairs of the nation with its people and it was, going, it was to be ruled spiritually first. Verse 14, And when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and say, I will set a king over me, like as to all the nations that are about me. Moses is a prophet here. He says, there's going to come a day when you guys are going to want a king. And you're going to want a king just like all the other nations. And when you do that, he, he gives some instruction for the king here. He's not, to, he's not to multiply weapons to himself. He's not to multiply women to himself. And... Um, He's not to multiply wealth and money to himself. Because you set up, you set an individual with centralized power, the tendency is going to be what? To use that power for their own um, enhancement. And he says, you know, that one of the things that the king had to do is he had to make him, verse 18, it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which before the priests and the Levites. That king was to make his own personal copy of the word of God that he was accountable to and responsible to as he managed and led the affairs of the nation to kind of keep his own heart and his own life in check. A remarkable thing. When David says, oh, how I love thy law, it's my meditation all the day, David has his own personal copy that he has made that he has followed, written word of God. It's an amazing thing. But notice that thing about the, about the king. It was never God's design for them to have a king, a, a human king, <laughs> until <laughs> the real king showed up. Go to, first Sam, go to First Samuel chapter 8, because the issue of a king was a, was a departure from <laughs> God's design for the nation. Because you set up a man with centralized power or a ruling class and the tendency of human nature is going to be what? To enhance yourself. 1 Samuel chapter 8 is a sad chapter because Israel says, he says, verse 5, And said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. We want to be like those other nations. When God says, my law is going to make you different from them. I've severed you from them. 
And Israel says, we want a king. And God basically tells Samuel, give them what they want, because they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. And Moses tells them, he says in verse, verse 11, he says, okay, Israel, you want a king? Here's what your king is going to be like. He said, this will be the manner of the king, verse 11, that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. You go on down through the, the, the passage 12 times. It's his family, his land, his servants. His, he's going he's to enhance himself. And the issue of a king and a ruling class was not the design for God's nation, but he gave them what they wanted. So I, I lay all this out because here's God's model for national organizational life. How did Israel do? They failed, didn't they? Even when they had the perfect national model, even when they had the living God, even when they had the written word of God, there was still a problem, wasn't there? The problem was that they all came from one blood, from Adam. <laughs> and Israel has a history. And Israel fails time and time and time again. They decline spiritually, which leads to a moral and a, an ethical decline in the nation. So God finally gives them up too. You have the fall and the diminishing of the nation of Israel in the early chapters of the book of Acts. And then you know what you have after you finish the book of Acts? You turn over one page to the book of Romans, and what do you have? You have Paul, the apostle, to the Gentiles. The 2,000 years of Israel's history, ups and down and decline, the Gentiles have been going on in their own darkness, in their own ignorance. Romans chapter 1, all unrighteousness, being filled with fornication and wickedness and malice, and on and on that whole list is. God sets his model nation aside and sends Paul the Apostle out into the Gentile world that's been going on in darkness and wickedness and idolatry. And he, he sends them out with a new message, the gospel of the grace of God, with an everyman savior, not to just save his people from their sins, but, but he gave his life a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And the Apostle Paul takes that, that great event of Calvary and opens it up and says, it's not just the blood of the new covenant for the nation of Israel and them that joined and get underneath his table, underneath their table, but now it's, it's, a, it's a message that's available and a provision for all of every nation, of every ethnic background. And, and Paul doesn't preach to groups. He preaches his gospel among the nations. He's out there trying to reach individuals within that Gentile culture. And so, so where, where does the United States fit in all of that? As we come and as we look at the United States of America, we're a very young nation. What about America and its, its standing? It too had a conception. The, the, the late 1400s is when Christopher Columbus sailed and he landed in the, in the New World. But then through the 1500s and 1600s, there was multiple explorations through the, the, the French and the, the Spanish, and, and the New World began to be settled and, and, and populated. As those things are happening and people are coming to the New World, 
There is a struggle. There is a gestation period where, where the, the, the new world and the, and the, the people are, are, are organizing and banding together. It is a world that is also perpetuating the issue of slavery. Slavery was a worldwide phenomenon. It didn't begin with the United States of America. It was worldwide. In fact, slavery was present in biblical times. It was used in, 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 in certain ways, and it was regulated. And so, so it was a world of, with slavery as part of it. So there was, the, there was the struggle through the 1500s and the 1600s as people came to the New World and began to settle. Jamestown was settled, I believe, in 1620. There, the, 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 uh, the settlement at Jamestown. You know what was also happening during the 1500s and the 1600s, early 1600s? The Protestant Reformation was taking place in England. You had the struggle led by Martin Luther, that's why we sang the song, because he lived in a day when there was, relig when there was a religious struggle taking place and they, the people were breaking away from the iron fist of Rome, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church and, and its, its, uh, its dogma and its darkness. And people were, there was also the production of an English Bible. The Bible through Tyndall was in the 50, early 1500s was being translated now into English, into the common language of the people. <laughs> Tyndall says, I want the boy that driveth the plow to know more of God's word than thou as he talked to the papist and the religious leader. And God's word was being translated into English and put in the hands of common people. And there was a, there was a reformation that was beginning to, 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 to explode on the world scene. You know what was at the heart of that Protestant Reformation was Pauline truth. The truth of justification by grace through faith plus nothing. And those people didn't understand all of it, but they began to realize the issue of personal individual salvation is not a matter of indulgences and climbing up the steps and, and all the sacrifice, but, that, but there was a provision. And man, the just shall live by faith. And they could trust in, in, in what Jesus did on the cross and received the gift of eternal life apart from all the dogma. And you have that struggle through the 1500s. Multiple English Bibles are being produced. And you come into the 1600s and you have King James and that struggle gave birth to a uniform translation of the Bible. It was, called, it was, it was, it was instituted in 1603 and it was commissioned, and that process took seven years. So that in 1611, a uniform English translation that wasn't automatically accepted, because there was all of these individual factions, but the King James Bible eventually became the, the, the accepted one because all worked in its production. And when people, those people came in the early 1600s and settled Jamestown, you know what they brought with them? They brought with them an English Bible that was going to transform the world. And it all, they, they, the Reformation had already produced evangelism and mission day endeavors throughout the world over there. And that Bible came to the United States, came to the, the New World. And they organized in the 1600s, and the struggle continued. Difficult things in rocky and bumpy times. And the struggle continued on through the, through the 1700s. And slavery was, was a worldwide phenomena that was, that, was, that was active. It was a worldwide issue. 
And then came the birth of the new world as, as the colonists began to break away from the iron fist of Britain and France and Spain and all those that tried to exercise, exercise authority. See, Gentile life, Genesis 14, is messy business. Remember that? Gentile national life, there's struggle, there's power, there's, there's, there's good and bad that, that as, as Gentile nations struggle and fight for survival and, and exercise their, their dominion. But it gave birth to a new nation and a declaration of independence and a constitution. And those settlers did not want a king. They did not want a ruling class. They were breaking away from the monarchy and the, and the, and the ruling families and a king. They set up a representative republic with power settled where? In the people and the consent of the governed and the rule of law. And it was a messy business, it was a messy process. But, but they set up a constitution to limit government power, to, to, to ensure the rights of the individual to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the declaration that all men were created equal and they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. You see the foundations that are there? Wasn't perfect. It wasn't pretty. There's still a struggle that's taking place. But those foundational principles of national life are there. And those states, they had individual territories that governed themselves, that had, they had local representatives, yet it was one nation under God. And it was a struggle. There were some bumpy times and difficult times, but those foundations were there. And through the 1600s and 1700s and 1800s, they also had Pauline truth, the basis of it. And they established freedom. And they had a strong religious and spiritual life that formed within the nation. And it wasn't the law of the land, but it was, it was freely propagated. And there was great spiritual growth and prosperity based on personal individual freedom and liberty and protection under the law. And those foundations enabled the country to refine and to, to, to address many of the injustices that were part of the world and eventually eliminated slavery. And yet the remnants of that endured for, for many, many years because those families and those, those individuals had, had limitations and, and so on. But the foundation was laid. And the, the country had its, had its struggles, but those foundations were in place. And the country began to continue to prosper and grow, still with internal struggles, inequality, uh, poverty, um, prejudice, and so on. All those things are, are part of the national life of the nation and are part of our history. And we come to where we are today and we're still in turmoil, aren't we? Um, but there has been a pro there's been a progression that has taken place. And, and yet there's still inequality. There's still injustice because that's Gentile life. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. 
in the human the human condition humanity has the ability to do such awful things to itself does it not isn't that something that the Gentile world demonstrated with the Crusades with the Holocaust with, with all of the wars out there in the Gentile world and, and Gentile history. It was a horrible thing because of the nature of man. And we're not uh, immune to all of that because we're still made of the same stuff. But there was, a, there was those foundations that existed within national life and people could come here from other parts of the world with nothing. And if they came and they worked hard and they assimilated there was a culture to allow them to succeed my grandfather came here as an orphan a 12 year old boy on the sister ship to the Titanic <laughs> and came into Ellis Island there as an orphan and eventually made his way to Chicago developed a trade became a shoe repairman married my grandmother had my mom and, and had a family in the Chicago area there that, that story is repeated over and over and over again. People could come here from all over the world and they assimilated into that framework and could succeed. People still want to come, don't they? <laughs> you don't have people trying to get out. You have people still trying to get in. There's, something, there's some foundations here, but the foundations are being eroded. I want to go, and uh, I wasn't sure how far I'd be able to get, but we're going we're gonna to move on and talk about other things. I want you to come to the book of Proverbs with me. There's all kinds of Proverbs chapter 18. There's a, there's a verse of scripture here that as I watch all, the, all of the political, social upheaval and the reaction to an event as it's portrayed in the media, and you know, we, we saw it on steroids last summer with all of the riots and all of the, the, uh, the, the protests all across the country it's because we live in a day when the rule of law and government has failed, hasn't it? Uh, we, we talked last week about the Apostle Paul, how he was an innocent man who for two years was, was held in custody by a, by a political leader looking for a bribe to, to release an innocent man. Didn't have the charges laid out for him. And yet Paul had some happiness there. But the injustice goes on. The 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 relig the, the, the the political governmental system is a framework to manage human evil, but it still is imperfect because it's managed by flawed individuals. And there's a verse here, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13, that uh, to me is, is extremely helpful as we look at the chaos that goes on around us. It says in verse 13, he that ad answereth a matter before he heareth it. It is a folly and shame unto him. Remember the verses back in Deuteronomy where if there was a matter that arose between brother and family or individuals, they were to, they were to go through the process and if they couldn't solve the process in locally, they were to go to the capital city. But when the sentence was pronounced and the process ran its course, the issue was settled. Here, we have people settling the issue in their mind before everything is learned about it. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is a folly and a shame to him. The rule of law is not allowed to run its course to manage and to 
punish the evil or reward the good. And because people have an agenda and they have opinions, they, they pass judgment before all the facts are learned, then all the facts come out and it doesn't matter because the people really don't have the, the issue of the country at heart. They, 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 they just function on the basis of grievous, grievance. Look at verse 14. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. The spirit and the conscience of an individual will sustain him in the midst of ill treatment or um, the, the knocks of life. But a wounded spirit, who can bear? Grievous words stir up anger and bitterness and hardship and, and anger and frustration because of the emptiness in life. The, 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 the governmental structure, government will always fail, won't it? And uh, Romans 13, and we'll just have to draw this to a close. Romans 13 says, They're ministers of God to thee for evil, um, uh, to, to thee for good, uh, to punish that which is evil and to reward that which is good. Guess what? Politicians are not going to get away with it. <laughs> we want our pound of flesh now, and we fight, and we contend, and people want the government to fix the issue when the government's been trying to fix the issue for decades, haven't they? And yet it still goes on and goes on. And Paul has that, has that gospel that goes into that Gentile world, and he doesn't engage the system until the system engages him. In the process, he goes about his life serving the Lord and sharing and preaching the gospel. And... Um, well, we're going to move into the, to the next issue of, of a believer's life. See, the issue of the rule of law in, in national life is, part, is just one of the foundations that deteriorate. As personal responsibility and volition decline, as a knowledge of the creator and the mor moral absolutes that are there decline, as, the, as marriage and the family decline, so goes national life, doesn't it? And those foundations are still important. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and we'll quit. What about the United States of America? It's in decline. It's, it's a sinking ship. But it's still the best place on earth as far as I'm concerned. That's my own private subjected opinion. Because there is still the opportunity for the individual to make it. If he has determination, exercises his own volition and personal responsibility, the sky's the limit, isn't it? And so there's still individual responsibility and volition and opportunity here. But what about the believer? He says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I exhort therefore, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. You know what the issue is for a believer? It's the issue of godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. We have a mission in the dark Gentile world. And we can go out with a gospel message and truth that can meet the individual's need. Life kicks them in the teeth, situation comes, illness, calamity, mistreatment, whatever. 
we've still got a message that will reach their heart and can give them contentment. Godliness with contentment, he says, is great gain. In an oppressive world, in first century, it was a horrible time to live. And yet there was something that provided for man's individual needs, and that is to represent the Lord Jesus Christ and God and his word and his truth and shine his lights in that dark Gentile world. And here's the issue of godliness. And so we're going to move on to the next phase of what is our world and what does our culture need? It needs godly Christian people. It needs the testimony of God's word rightly divided. It needs us to be who God has called us to be. And when the system comes into contact with us, then we engage the system. But in the meantime, we're citizens of a different kingdom, aren't we? And at different missions, we're ambassadors in foreign land. And the more, the more we fight this fight, the stronger we get. The more we fight that fight out there, guess what? The more frustration it leads to, doesn't it? And as we, as we give ourselves to the issues of God's word and God's grace and the truth of God's word and his ministry, the stronger we get in a dark world. And that was the focus of Paul in those first century churches. Amen? And that's what we need as members of the body of Christ today. And when we focus on, in light of what God's given us to do, we can have an exciting life as everything else has fallen apart. Can't we? And what a great, great privilege that is. I don't know if I went around in circles too much, but I, I tried to get to the point that, that we still have great opportunity in, a, in an oppressive and, and who knows where the, where the country's going and the world's going. I guess we do know, don't we? We know the course of this world. We know where it's headed. But we know where we're headed too, don't we? Praise the Lord for that. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness and grace. I appreciate the patience of the saints this morning. As we sit here in comfort and quietness in our local church, Lord, there's, there's, it's wonderful to have peace with God and to have the peace of God. And Father, as we just rejoice that, that you are sufficient for us and for our needs, for our life. And you've given us provision to function here and now. We thank you for that great privilege and we pray that we might press on and press toward the mark, realizing the great the great opportunity that lies before us. As the world crumbles and falls apart, we could come along with a, with a loving heart and a, and a, and a message that uh, will meet the need of the individual, wherever they are. Father, help us to look past the circumstances to the heart and the need of every man, woman, and child. And that need is to seek the God, the living God, and uh, Lord, to, to come and to know him. And we thank you for that privilege. We thank you for our country. We pray for it, Lord, that, um, that, the, that the leadership would recognize the, the, the history and, and uh, the principles and uh, that those in it that, that recognize those things would stand for what's right to maintain the freedoms and liberties that are so, are so precious. But Lord, in the end, we know that the natural direction of nations and national life is uh, decline. And uh, we just thank you that, that our direction is pressing toward that mark and that future glory that we have. What a privilege to, to look outside of this world to you and to function 
in, in light of your truth and our salvation and the sufficiency that we have in Christ. What a privilege and a joy. We thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.